0: intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFpodcast with code IFpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
1: New customers can use the code cleanforall for all 20 for 20% off their first order. BeautyCounter.com/slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome.
0: This is episode number two forty of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm
2: Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing all right. I have a little bit of a cold, so I'm drinking my hot water and trying not to cough.
0: (laughs) So, well, first of all, I'm sorry you have a cold. That is never fun, although it's appropriate. The weather changed. It's kind of a cliche. It got cold, and
2: then you got a cold. It sure did. It absolutely got cold. You know how I feel about
0: that. I know. I love it. I'm so happy. I'm like prancing around outside. It's only been cold a few days and I've already gotten the comments of, aren't you cold? I'm like, well, yes, I am, but I love it because I wear the same like summer clothes.
2: Okay. That's hilarious. Not me. Not me.
0: (laughs) Are you going to modify your fasting window for your cold?
2: No. If anything, I might fast a little more.
0: Yeah. Is this a hungry cold or a not hungry cold?
2: It's not a hungry cold. No. Chad was like, do you want some orange juice? And I was like, no. My window's not open. I don't want to start with orange juice right now. I don't feel that bad. I'm just tired. Like I have no energy. It's like just very low energy. Yeah. Well, I hope you feel better. Yeah. Well, thank you. I don't get sick very often. So it's like so weird. Like it always surprises me. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> Why is this happening? <laughs> but I usually kick it pretty fast. So, Well, I will send kick it fast vibes to you. Thank you. I have to read my audiobook next week in Atlanta, so I cannot have a weird voice. So I've got two days to get completely better.
0: Well, I hope you get completely better because I really want to meet you.
2: (laughs) I know we're going to meet. That's so exciting.
0: So for listeners, this was a complete coincidence that Jen just happens to be in Atlanta over my birthday. What are the odds? I've been researching where you're staying, Jen, and I found... Some fun places,
2: oh good. yay, it's near Emory. I do know that you're gonna be in Decatur, right? Yeah, but it's near Emory right? I looked at the map and there was Emory University it was it looked close. I think so. yeah. and if we do meet on a Monday
0: there's there's a one place I really want to go that's it's on like the list of like best restaurants in Atlanta and, it, and it's always on that list. Oh well, I like the sound of that, but it's not open on Mondays, but there's two other really, really cool places that are open on Mondays. They would have wine and food and a bar. So this
2: might happen, assuming you feel better. Well, I'm going to feel better because I'm willing it to happen. Did I tell you I'm doing better with wine all of a sudden? Oh, really? No. Like my sleep has gotten better. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the bioptimizer's magnesium finally kicking in. Oh, nice. Very nice. That's exciting. Yeah. I had an exciting moment. What was
0: your exciting moment? On Halloween, while not taking part in festivities, I actually was doing bowel prep because I had a pill cam. That
2: was not what I was expecting that to go. (laughs) You're like, on Halloween, it was not the festivities, then bowel prep came out of nowhere. I'm like, bum bum
0: bum. I did because I did a pill cam on on Monday. I had to be up early, so I had to do a a laxative prep. The modern world we live in, it's so crazy, like swallowing a camera. But in any case, so I was on my couch lamenting my Halloween activities and was just like looking at Instagram
2: and then realized I'm verified. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yep. Very exciting. So exciting. Congratulations. I'm so excited.
0: I feel like I've come so far. Like just the other day, I was like still scared of Instagram, but
2: now I'm scared with a blue check. Awesome. (laughs) I'm so happy. So best Halloween ever. I'm debating Instagram. Like I'm trying to decide. You're debating if you want to do it. Yeah. There's like, like, what am I trying to do though? That's what I'm like. I went to this conference in Arizona and I went to a session about upping your Instagram game and like people pay people to help them do it. And they were talking about engagement scores and whatever. And I'm like, do I really want to do all that? I don't know. I have an Instagram manager. Did you know that? I did know that you told me. That just doesn't feel like me. I don't know, but everybody's doing it, but it doesn't feel like me. So I'm like, I'm on the fence. I feel like maybe you should get my manager because he could like, he could help you. But see, I don't know if I want to. That's my thing. Like, you know, I left Facebook and I'm like, you know, am I also going to just reject Instagram and just be like, that is not for me. Like I love that you're verified. I don't want to like put a squelch on that because I know that's exciting. I'm not trying to want want that. Congrats! That is very exciting. Thank you.
0: <laughs> it's funny. We're just always complete opposites.
2: Well, we are. I'm just trying to figure out. Like, like I like to just share on Instagram. Like, here's my cat. Like I said that before, but I'm not kidding. I don't want to have to think about it. Like for me, it's really um,
0: helpful. Like for my audience all the content I generate, like it's a really important vessel
2: for my personal platform. And that, that is, you just nailed it. I don't know that I want to generate content for an audience. Does that make sense? That's what I'm struggling with. Do I want to generate content for an audience? I was reading something, you know, when we were moving our platform again from the, <laughs> from the one to the new, the new, new platform, we looked at several. And one of them, Mighty Networks, we did not go with Mighty Networks, but they sent out something, I'm on their email list now, and it was talking about growing an audience versus growing a community and that like gave me a moment of clarity i'm not saying that one is bad and one is good like i'm absolutely not saying that growing an audience is a bad thing to do or that everyone should be growing a community but when i read that i was like that just feels like me you know what i mean i like leaving facebook for example you know i had an audience of almost 500,000 people on facebook but it, i was like i'm out of here and that sounds crazy I mean, I definitely think
0: mine's a community.
2: Right. I get it. People in the audience become part of the community if they want to. I'm not trying to come across as like it's bad because it's not, but I'm just trying to force myself into it and it doesn't feel authentic to me. Does that make sense? I'm trying so hard to like, like I went to that session and I'm like, I got to up my Instagram game. Then I'm like, wait, why? It doesn't resonate with me. I mean, it's, it's an awesome platform. I mean, I know that. One of the things that makes me feel alive is creating content. So it's
0: doing what I love, engaging with the community. Like it's everything that I love
2: minus I can't stand selfies and I'm, and I'm very insecure. Well, you're doing great at those. You're great. at. I think that you just nailed it. I don't want to create content. I just want to talk to people. I just want to like troubleshoot and talk to them and how you're doing and what you do. You know, I don't want to create content that feels like stress to me. Like the whole idea that I have to create content and post it in a special way makes me feel freaked out.
0: So if you had a manager, he could create content for you based on the content you're creating. So like you're creating episodes, you know, right now, like you're already creating content. So if you had a manager, he could create snippets from that. Turn that content. Mm -hmm. He could turn that content into content. And then you could just get on casually because you both get on it. So you could still get on it. You could interact with comments and you could do what you like to do, which is interacting with the community. And you could still post about your cats. I'm not trying to like convince you into it. A happy medium. Yeah. Like if you wanted to do it, I think there's a way you could do it that wouldn't be taxing or stressful, but it would still, it would allow your part of the community that exists on Instagram to be able to connect with
2: you there. Okay. Because I know there is, I know there are definitely people on Instagram that I enjoy connecting with, but it's just the idea. Like, I don't have to think about it. Like, I I like, like, here's my dinner. Here's my screen porch. Here's the beach. Here's a starfish. (laughs) Those types of things. That's not content anybody needs. That's
1: just,
2: (laughs) well, the thing is, the thing is like, I think people like Instagram
0: because it is like a snapshot into your daily life. So like you can have on the one hand, the content, that's like the content that we just mentioned. So, you know, fasting related stuff or stuff from your shows so people would tune into your Instagram for that but then the cool thing about Instagram is it like i just said it's like your daily life so you could the stuff that you just mentioned like people who like you like <laughs> people who follow you cuz they're so
2: interested like in you they that's what they want to see is like like what you're doing mhm well i'm really proud of you cuz i know that was a goal and you accomplished it and it's huge and it's hard to do
0: It's really hard to do. I've had so many people reach out to me and be like, how did you do this? Like saying, like, I've been trying to do it for so long. I'm very grateful. It makes me really happy. (laughs) So can I tell you one other really quick story before we jump in?
2: Absolutely.
0: I'm really excited because I've been dying to interview Dom Diagostino. He's like the ketone guy, like researcher. And I've been dying to interview him for so long. And so one of my friends, actually a guest from the show, has been saying that he would introduce me to Dom for for like months, but he never did. And then I was talking to another friend from my other show. When I say the show, it's the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. So I was talking to another friend from it, and he randomly brought up Dom. And I told him, I was like, oh, I've been really wanting to interview Dom. He's like, oh, I'll introduce you. And so then the next day, (laughs) at the almost the exact same time, like an hour apart, both of them emailed Dom about me and it was almost the exact same email like <laughs> it was like Dom I want you to meet my friend Melanie Avalon like she's an amazing podcaster you should be on her show and so he got he got hit with both of those emails like right back to back he's probably like why is everybody throwing Melanie Avalon <laughs> at me but point is he's coming on the show now so
2: yay well congratulations i know you'll enjoy that lots to celebrate
0: yes so if anybody has questions specifically about Ketones. He is the ketone guy. So feel free to email those. And then one more announcement I want to make before we jump in. So when this comes out, I think my supplement, my Seraphapte supplement will have, I think it'll be in pre orders. Trying to finalize the date right now, but it's probably going to be mid November that the pre order went live. So I'm like debating what links I should put out there. It probably will be available for sale if the pre-orders are not sold out because I anticipate, I don't know, I think they might sell out pretty fast. If you haven't pre-ordered yet, go to avalonx.com. That's A-V-A-L-O-N-X.com. And you should be able to pre-order or order there. And then you can also get on my email list for it. That's melanieavalon.com slash Peptase, S-E-R-R-A-P-E-P-T-A-S-E. And that is going to be the ongoing email list for information. So you can get on that. But long story short, a lot of our audience takes seropeptides and it's an enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. You take it in the fasted state, it goes into your bloodstream, it breaks down residual protein buildups that your body might be reacting to. So it can help you with things like inflammation and allergies. And the studies have shown that it can reduce cholesterol. And there's even been studies on it reducing amyloid plaque and fibroids. And it's just really, really cool. So November is like my month. Verified birthday supplement.
2: So exciting. So much to celebrate. I feel like this was all about me. But how are you besides being sick? You gave me some Instagram coaching. So that was good. Oh, true, true, true. All right. So to get things started,
0: we have a question from Jennifer. The subject is goal weight. Jennifer says, hi ladies. I've been doing IF sixteen eight for about four and a half months now. It has been such a great lifestyle for me. Easy to do. And has brought me many benefits over that time. I have lost 20 pounds and I am now within two pounds of my goal weight. I love listening to your podcast. It's great to have a reliable source of info. So I thought I would turn to you with my question How do I move to maintenance when I reach my goal? Do I just open my window a bit more? If so, what increments would you recommend? And how long do you think I should remain at that new window while monitoring my weight to see if I continue to lose, maintain, or start to gain? I appreciate your time and expertise. Jennifer.
2: All right, that's a great question. And, you know, I remember 2009. I was struggling with my weight and I was doing some crazy diet. I think it was the HCG diet. And I was almost at my goal. And my stepmother said, I was like, I'm almost at my goal. So exciting. I'll be there. And she said, Yeah, but it's not the losing that's hard. It's the maintaining. And I was like, wah, wah. (laughs) That was like such a downer thing to hear. But Jennifer, intermittent fasting is not like that. It's so much easier to maintain with intermittent fasting. So as far as you know, moving to maintenance, your body is really going to decide when you're at maintenance. Your goal is to have a window that feels good, where you're eating until you're satisfied, and that might still be the same window you're doing right now. If you're doing sixteen eight, and it feels great for you, like I wouldn't have a longer window than eight hours probably, and and you may find that your body actually continues to refine itself over time. And get a little smaller, like you might still burn a little fat, but you might also be hungrier. So that's what happened for me. When my body decided that it didn't want to lose any more fat, it ramped up my appetite a little bit. And so it just, I mean, I know it sounds all, you know, like wacky to say that you're, you'll just know, but you will. If you're a little hungrier, eat a little bit more that day and just really listen to your body. But it just, it's just kind of like riding a bike every day. You just ride that bike every day day, and, and there you go. Now, if you had a shorter window than sixteen eight like maybe you were doing something like you know twenty one three you know I might say, "Hey, you know, loosen up that window a little bit, but for sixteen eight, I feel like I wouldn't change a thing there as far as monitoring your weight, like I would adjust what you do in your window versus changing that window since it's a sixteen eight Does that make sense, melanie? Oh, Oh, one hundred
0: percent, yeah, I was just reflecting on my Approach to intermittent fasting ever since I started, which was forever ago. When did I start? 2010? I should have had a decade anniversary. I did a one meal a day from day one. I never really changed that. I think the thing that I did change was in the beginning, I was actively making sure that I fasted a minimum amount of hours. And then as I became more comfortable with it, I just embrace like a general, you know, evening window without counting anything. But what you just said, Jen, about looking at what you're eating rather than the fasting window per se, that's what resonates with me. And the interesting thing is I, I didn't do it. And I encourage other people as well, not to do it based on some arbitrary goal number. So it's not like, it's not like I'm doing my fasting window, I'm doing my eating. And then when I hit this number bam,
2: I'm in maintenance and now I'm not losing anymore. And and you want to stay at that number, right? There's not going to be a magic number. It's going to be more of like a maintenance range. It might even be like a five pound range. You might already be in it. Exactly. And like, if you think about it, so your body
0: doesn't think in terms of a scale number. And so let's say you're you're going to this special number and you're following, you know, you're doing a certain window and you're eating a certain way. And then you hit that number. Your body's not like, oh, I hit this number. Now I need to like, Change around to maintain at this number. I think it should always be intuitive. You can just keep eating the way you're eating. It might be that you don't even have to change anything. I think that's very likely that a lot of people find that they just naturally, their body reaches a new weight that it's happy at. And then you just maintain at that weight without having to consciously make any decisions. What's interesting is, you know, because it could go two ways, it could go where people find that they actually are losing too much weight, maybe. And then so what they need to do is actually intuitively eat more. Or it could be this opposite where you're maintaining and you're trying to, you know, not gain back the weight. But I think from our experience, that's not as common if you're in an intuitive relationship with
2: how you're eating and your window. It's just basically not necessarily what you think it is. Like, because every other, you know, quote, diet, That's really how it was. You got to a goal, then you had to like stay at that goal, and it was all about that number. But intermittent fasting is so different, and you'll really see once you just start intuitively living at maintenance, it just is so different than anything else. And, you know, if you start having window creep and your honesty pants get a little tight, your window needs to get a little tighter for a while. And, you know, it's really easy for me to do that over the years. You know, I've certainly gone up and down within a range. Of course, I don't weigh and haven't weighed for years. So for me, I don't know what the number is doing, but my honesty pants tell me. When my jeans get a little tight, I know it's time to tighten up my window. So it'll happen. And don't be afraid of it. And don't be afraid if your pants do get tight. That doesn't mean you failed anything. It just means, all right, time to get a little back to it.
0: I think that question too, Jennifer, I pulled it from, I think it's a really old question, but (laughs) we have a list of questions from listeners since I mean for for years. So this question might have been a few years old,
2: but I feel like we hadn't addressed that in a while. No, we haven't. So that was a great question. Who knows what Jennifer's doing now? She may be at her goal and maintained it for three years. If so, Jennifer, if that sounds like you, write back in and say yes, I wrote that three years ago and I've been maintaining and <laughs> we would love to hear. Please do. All right. We have a question from Andrea and the subject is health benefits. She says, hey girls So happy with this way of life. I started in May 2021 and quickly lost the weight I wanted. Above and beyond that, I had this other list of health concerns that was nagging me. Aches and pains, inflammation, aging slash longevity, and HGH, which is human growth hormone, slash hormones to name a few. And IF was the answer for that list as well. It's an explosion of wins. I love that, by the way. Me too. An explosion of winds. <laughs> I just had to say it again. Through the education of your books and podcast, I've learned that IF is a beneficial lifestyle for preventing Alzheimer's through fasting slash autophagy. Is MADF, and that's, you know, modified alternate daily fasting. And that's like when you do alternate daily fasting with instead of a full fast, like for 36 hours, you have that 500 calorie meal on the down day. People have started calling that modified alternate daily fasting. Though technically, it's just alternate daily fasting. Some of, the, some of the Facebook moderators are irritated by the addition of the M because we called it just ADF forever because the people who researched it just called it ADF forever. And then all of a sudden, the M came in. I'm not really sure. Anyway, that's what that is, if anybody sees it. I'm not irritated by it, but it's just funny. ADF is when you have the 500-calorie meal on a down day. And then, you know, quote, regular ADF would be if you have a full fast. But technically, they both can be considered ADF. But MADF always means 500 calorie meal. All right. So she says, is MADF, i.e. 5-2, a better strategy for brain health? Now, technically, MADF wouldn't mean 5-2 necessarily. I mean, true ADF is every other day. But 4-3 and 5-2 are in that ADF umbrella because you're having down days and up days. Like probably a lot of people don't do real 5-2 because real 5-2 is having two down days and five up days. So it's like five days of, quote, eating normally and then two, if, if you're doing... You know, regular five two, the way it was written originally, you would have five hundred calorie days. Like a five two originally was five hundred calorie days. So that it's not modified. That was just how it was. Or you could do you know two full fasts and then five eat regularly days. But for people who have been doing intermittent fasting for a while, I can't imagine having five, you know, quote, regular eating days in a week. Can you, Melanie? Not at all. Not at all. So <laughs> anyway, I usually don't stop in the middle of a, of a question and start answering things, but I had to really get into that MADF. All right. So she says, is MADF a better strategy for brain health? What else should I consider? Dietary approach, Zoe, anything from the stuff we like list. In addition, please recommend any books, podcasts, etc. Forever Fasting, Andrea. I love that too, Andrea. Forever fasting explosion of winds. When we say is something, you know, quote, a better strategy for brain health, I always like to look what the experts do. You know, Mark Mattson is one of the top brain experts who also knows about intermittent fasting. And, you know, he studies the neurological benefits of fasting. And guess what approach he uses? Daily eating window. So that says a lot to me. You know, sometimes we think that, well, you know, in order to get super duper fabulous health benefits, we got to push ourselves and do more and more fasting. Well, when the when the number one neurological benefit expert of fasting has a daily eating window, that says a lot to me. Yes, I think that is very, very telling. Yeah, just with
0: the history of ADF, I think it is such a thing because it's a thing. Wow, I'm being very scientific right now. That is... um. <laughs> That is easy to study. Like it's a setup that can be looked at with all of the the studies they do and the research. Like I think it has a lot to do with just the history of how the research has been done and the data, more so than practically what might be the best. But sorry, just a side note. <laughs> I hope you're feeling better when we do get to meet because I was just laughing, thinking about conversations we might have while having wine with you, like <laughs> explosions of winds and forever fasting. And <laughs> like, I can't wait to see you in person.
2: So Andrea, oh, Andrea or Andrea, what do you say? Most of the time it's Andrea, like around here, but I don't know. I mean, it could be anything, but Andrea is what I would just automatically say, but you know, there's a lot of ways you could pronounce it. I had one student one time, she had a crazy name, not that Andrea is a crazy name, it's not, but this girl had a crazy name and she like, I was like, how do you say it? Then she said it. And then another day she's like, you said my name wrong. And I'm like, okay, how is it? Then she said it a different way than she said it the first time. And another student said, that is not how you said it before. And she just looked at us. I'm like, she's right. That is not how you said it before. Sorry. <laughs> She was a third grader. She was like trying out the different ways. Anyway, <laughs> forgive us, Andrea, if that's wrong.
0: So Alzheimer's, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I actually have an episode, you were looking for resources. I interviewed the Shurzais. If You're talking about names that are hard to pronounce. Their names are Dr. Dean and I think it's Aisha Sherzai, but they are the head actually of the... I'm not sure the exact title. I think it's the like the Alzheimer's or the dementia school at Loma Linda or Institute. So their books are The Alzheimer's Solution and then their newest book is The 30 Day Alzheimer's Solution, which is kind of a an abbreviated form and more of like a meal plan. But I did an interview with them. So if you go to melanieavalon.com slash Alzheimer's, that might be something to listen to. We dive deep, deep, deep into Alzheimer's, the causes of it. They are huge proponents and f- obviously um, supporters of the idea that diet can, um, you know, largely be preventative for Alzheimer's. I will say they are vegan and that is their approach to it. But regardless of if you're vegan or not and if that resonates with you or if you even agree with that or not. The conversation, they were very, very welcoming and open to my audience, which tends to be lower carb and inclusive of animal protein. So we discussed all of that. And I think if you listen to that, you'll walk away with some practical dietary and lifestyle things that you can do for Alzheimer's prevention. As far as the actual fasting, I don't know that there is studies on ADF specifically or you know, different dietary approaches and Alzheimer's. Basically, I wouldn't stress too much about finding the fasting pattern to prevent Alzheimer's. Instead, I would focus on the fasting pattern that you can really integrate in your life and that feels good and that you can stick to and really, really focus on your dietary choices during your eating window. I think that is so huge. Oh, and then something that's really interesting... I was looking this up while Jen was reading the question, but I actually was just reading a study and I almost don't want to bring this up because people like to draw very black and white conclusions from studies. So like we read something and it shows something and then people think, oh, okay, this is black and white. This means this. What I encourage listeners to do is to really just try to take a more comprehensive picture and understand almost for anything I mean, it really is shocking, but almost for anything health related, you can probably find studies showing the complete opposite <laughs> conclusion. It can be frustrating. It can be confusing, but I think that's also very freeing as well because it just goes to show that you don't have to take anything as complete absolute truth when it comes to interpreting health studies and information. And you can really you know, read as much as you can, find what resonates with you and implement that. So that's the lengthy intro to say that I was reading a study because she was asking about fasting and autophagy. And I was actually reading a study that was looking at ADF and comparing it to normal eating. And they actually did look at gene expression related to autophagy and they did not, they did not find any effects on gene expression related to autophagy with the ADF. Does that mean ADF does not encourage autophagy? No, all it means is that I I don't know that we have a definitive answer on what is the pathway to, to autophagy. If we know anything, we know that autophagy is actually always occurring 24/7. We know that exercise, for example, increases autophagy, you know, possibly just as much as fasting, that there's so many factors that are related. So I I wouldn't make autophagy the end goal. I would make your overall lifestyle, especially when it comes to Alzheimer's your overall lifestyle supportive of your brain health. So I would check out that interview that I did. And to speak to what I just said about finding contradictory things. So the Share's Eyes, who I did have, who I had on the show, like I said, they're very vegan. Their approach, just by its very nature, is going to be higher carb, lower fat. If you want the complete opposite opinion, you can read Dr. Dale Bresden's book. It is the end of Alzheimer's, he actually takes more of a low carb approach. <laughs> so I know that's ironic. I really want to have him on the show because I would love to to have his perspective as well. But basically what I would recommend Andrea is maybe reading those two books and finding what resonates with you, finding what overlaps between them and implementing that as well. I think if anything, we do know that fasting is, you know, very supportive of health. It does enhance entophagy in general. And I already mentioned this earlier, but my supplement, serapeptase, and I did not plan this at all. I forgot that this question was even in here. There have been studies on it and it breaks down amyloid plaque both in vivo and in vitro in rodent trials. And then I think the other one was like the zebra fish or something. I don't know. There was, <laughs> it was like so random. But the importance of that is... So basically, in vitro means in a cell dish. So if they put seropeptase on amyloid plaque just in a cell dish, it breaks it down. It also works in vivo. That means within the organism. So that means if they give seropeptase to rats or to the zebrafish or whatever they're testing, that it breaks down the amyloid plaque within their brain. That's super cool that it does both. There haven't been human studies on this, but I I think that's pretty telling. So I would definitely, definitely go big on the um, serapeptase supplementation for Alzheimer's prevention as well. Again, I'm not a doctor. And again, if you missed it in the beginning, mine will be at avalonx.com for that things like Zoe and stuff like that. We've talked about Zoe a lot in this show. It's a program where you eat these designer muffins, wear a CGM, do some blood tests, test your gut microbiome, and it shows how your body processes carbs and fat, shows you where your gut microbiome is at, and then it makes recommendations to best support your metabolic health. That's not Alzheimer's, but that's taking charge of your metabolic health, which honestly, like metabolic health, I think it is a foundation for everything because it's how your body is turning food into energy, whether or not your body is storing that as fat, whether or not it's building up in your body, creating the metabolic issue problems. You could argue that is where things start going wrong. So when you're no longer to properly process your fuel, that's when things are building up. Amyloid plaque in the brain could be an issue from that. So really anything that supports your health, I think is the way to go. So we'll put links in the show notes to those two books. we will put links with discount codes for Zoe. We'll put links to the seropeptase, but I think there's a lot you can do. And one last thing I did want to point out was that, yes, there is a genetic tendency, a gene for Alzheimer's, APOE4. That said, even if you do have a genetic tendency for Alzheimer's, you can make massive, massive steps to prevent it.
2: So I would not be wedded to that if you get that diagnosis. Well, you pretty much nailed everything. (laughs) You went through it. You know, know, I'm a a keep it simple kind of girl. Find a lifestyle that feels good to you. You know, the kind of fasting that feels good. If you want to throw in, you know, like a mealless Monday kind of a thing once a week and follow that by an up day so that you're getting that one longer fast if it just feels like something that is beneficial. And then, you know, do what feels good the other days. I mean, I eat every day. So I'm like making that recommendation because you sound like you're interested in doing longer fast, but I eat every day. I don't do meal this Monday, but a lot of people love it. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Zoe and finding foods that make you feel great that you also enjoy eating. And that that's the thing about Zoe. It helped me figure out what foods worked well for my body. It gave me some tips like, hey, I shouldn't eat as much fat all at one time. Although it didn't tell me to eat low fat. I just shouldn't eat like a whole lot of fat and then eat a whole lot of fat again, like in a really tight eating window. So it taught me some things about that. So, you know, learning about your body is always a good thing. And I felt so great when I was following their recommendations very strictly. You know, I met my goal and I feel good. So you know, I, I loosely think about what I learned, but I don't like do it. So I was thinking with a Mealless Monday when I did
0: the prep for the colonoscopy. So not the pill can, but the colonoscopy, I drank the laxative stuff, but then I also did bone broth because you could have clear liquids. And it was interesting because, so just drinking the bowel prep stuff, which was this awful, you know, liquid laxative that I flavored with a strawberry kiwi stevia thing just drinking that I was not hungry but then I had the bone broth and I got starving and and so I was like mental note I was like mental note next time just just do a complete fast and so on Halloween when I was doing the bowel prep I I just did the bowel prep and this is also just talking to individuality it was I sweetened it with stevia strawberry kiwi stuff that's all I did so it ended up being a fast of about like a 48 a 48 hour fast ish, almost. I'd eaten the night before and then I wasn't going to eat that day. And so then I fasted and then I had to go all the next day. And I was like, oh, I I really, I kind of like this. And now I'm like, maybe I do want to try integrating a, you know, a complete fast here and there, a longer fast. Although I will say I'm freezing when I do that. So like sleeping at night. So normally I always sleep with my chili pad Uler and I, it's really cold and it keeps my body heat down. But when I don't eat that night and sleep, I'm like, really cold. <laughs>
2: That's typical for, for longer fasts. We hear that.
0: So, but I was like, Oh, this kind of feels like a really nice clean out, but I don't know. I just love eating so much at night that. Me too. I want to eat every day. Yeah, I do too. So, but it, it's a nice reframe. Cause now I'm like, if I ever have to do this again, it's nice to know that I can do it. And it, and it wasn't even that hard. Like it was hard though. When I t- when I had the bone broth, cause it made me hungry without the bone broth,
2: it was easy. All right, so let's go on to the next question. Are we ready? Paula? Yes. Paula, the subject is melatonin and so many other cues. (laughs) Melanie and Jen, thank you so much for all that you do. I'm a fan and listen to you weekly on my Monday a.m. workout session. I've recently listened to Melanie's podcast on melatonin and have a lot of questions. Number one, does it interfere with metabolism slash fasting, etc.? Okay. So
0: before I answer the episode that Paula is referring to, I interviewed Dr. John LaRonce on my show. He has a new book. I think he calls it like melatonin, miracle hormone, something like that. I'll put a link in the show notes, but the episode is at melanieavalon.com slash melatonin. Brief summary. He's a fan of high, high, high dose supplementation of melatonin. His book talks about how we think of melatonin as a sleep hormone, which it is, and that it instigates the sleep state in a way. But he talks about how it's actually sort of like our body's master stress hormone and that it does all of these other crazy things, which it does. There's actually so much literature on it. So it's a really fascinating read. So he has a whole protocol with supplementing melatonin. So question one, does it interfere with metabolism, fasting, et cetera? Not really. So like if you're taking it, it's not going to have an effect. You, you might could argue that it's going to support your overall health in general. So maybe it's going to have a beneficial effect on your metabolism if you're utilizing it correctly, but you don't have to worry about it breaking your fast or anything like that.
2: And I think also with melatonin, it depends on the formulation about whether it breaks your fast. Like if you're eating melatonin gummies or something, that would be different. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Such a good point. I know the nuts and bolts because that's what people ask. They're like, can I take melatonin and what if it's a gummy? So it does matter. Like, if you're eating a melatonin gummy, that would not be fasting. I don't worry about capsules so much. You know, a real stickler might be like, yeah, but what's the filler? But, you know, you're about to go to bed. So, anyway, (laughs) a lot of them are like chewables or
0: gummies or
2: syrups. So, yeah. Number two, is it worth taking over-the-counter pills? I don't need them to sleep, but feel they help waking up less through the night as I'm now going through menopause with some night hot flashes.
0: All right. So I find it really interesting that they help you with not waking up. Just because in general, they're more of a sleep instigator. But I guess people, you know, would find that experience as well, where it does help with sleeping throughout the night. Is it worth it? It's totally a end of one experience. So to recap, Dr. John Laurence's approach is not really tackling sleep specifically. It's tackling overall metabolic health and it's a different protocol. But to talk about just melatonin in general, if it's working for you, do it. If it's not, don't. I don't know. I get on the fence about dosing melatonin for sleep because the studies, they've done studies on the melatonins on the market and it's like shocking, the amount that actually is in the supplements compared to what they say it is. It's really hard to regulate. It's very surprising to me. I I won't go on a soapbox about this, but it's very interesting what is regulated and what isn't. And something like melatonin, that's a straight-up hormone, isn't really regulated. And there can be all these supplements. It's like... (laughs) It's very strange to me. If you can find a brand that you trust and you like it and you take it and it helps you. I would do that. I know a lot of listeners take Dr. Kirk Percy's Sleep Remedy, and that does have like a tiny bit of melatonin in it. But I really like that supplement because it's a synergistic blend of basically all the different ingredients your brain needs to start the sleep state. So it's not like it's knocking you out like a drug. It's just giving your brain what it needs to fall asleep. And it does include melatonin. So I would actually, rather than do straight up melatonin, I would probably take that instead. I can put a link in the show notes to it. I have a discount for it as well. But yeah, is it worth taking it? It's really, you just have to experiment for yourself.
2: I feel hungover in the morning when I take melatonin. I don't feel good for melatonin. I don't know why. Taking a good quality magnesium, is what really helps me with my sleep. I've changed the time that I'm taking my magnesium and that seems to have made a difference. That might be the, the key. I always took it at bedtime, but now I'm taking it with my dinner. I take mine with my dinner. I am now taking it with my dinner. I've always taken it with bedtime, at bedtime. Now I take it with my dinner. So I don't know if that's making a difference. Like maybe it has time to get into my system better, but I am sleeping through the night. Like that is very exciting. Or it could just be that my body's used to the hormonal changes. I don't know but it's very exciting. I was just checking.
0: This is crazy. So listeners, the magnesium that Jen is talking about specifically, the ad in today's show from Bioptimizers is actually about that magnesium and you'll get, we have a discount code. It's 10% off. So find the ad in this show and listen to it. But the link is magbreakthrough.com forward slash IFpodcast. The coupon code IFpodcast10 will get you 10% off. So that's
2: exciting. It's a really good magnesium. It's got a lot of different types of magnesium in it. So But taking it with dinner may be the the key for me. I get so excited when,
0: which I guess is like the entirety of what I do, but when I like something works for me and then I recommend it to somebody and then it like really helps them, I get so excited. And so I've heard this now. I mean well, I've heard it a lot from the audience, but like just in the podcast world, like Noel Tar, who has the Well Fed Women podcast, by now sponsors them and I had introduced her to them and Noel, like, laws, magnesium breakthrough all the time that it really
2: helps her with staying asleep. And it's really exciting. Yep. So number three question, can you shed some light into supplements in suppository form? Had never heard about it until that podcast. Yes. Supplements in suppository form. Can we take a take a vote, a guess? I mean, can we make a guess? Has Jen ever done supplements in suppository form? Yes or No. No. You're correct. (laughs) You win a prize. Let's play with Melanie. Has Melanie? Yes, Melanie has. Am I right? No. Mm -mm. Oh, oh, darn it. I thought I was going to. No, it's a twist ending. Okay. It was. Literally.
0: I've done all the other things, enemas and colonics. And I have now had two people on the show try to convince me to take a suppository. You just insert a pill down there. I don't really know how to say it otherwise that that's how you do it that you you nailed it in the back in your
2: back side not the front well th- I think there, there might be suppositories for that yeah I think they're called I mean I don't want to say it uh, vaginal suppositories okay I said it oh yeah I was gonna say are there that's interesting for like yeast infections and stuff or yeah I think yeah oh yeah okay then I have done those <laughs> oh wow <laughs> oh my goodness surprise ending I don't know I could be wrong
0: but I think that they're considered that too. Yeah, probably. The benefits of suppositories is the absorption. That route is actually very, very effective. So for example, when people do coffee enemas, which I have done a lot of coffee enemas, one of the benefits is the caffeine basically goes like directly to your liver compared to drinking it orally where, and again, I'm Gonna sound so unscientific, so please forgive me. But drinking caffeine orally, it has to go through this whole process and through your body, and affects other things. And it can take a while to like actually, you know, get to the liver and go through its half life and all of that. When you take it as an enema, which is sort of similar to suppository, it's like bam, liver, and then it does this it has this whole detox effect. Yeah, the absorption can be really great, especially for supplements that struggle to get absorbed via the gut for multiple reasons a lot of people really struggle with absorbing nutrients and absorbing supplements because of our the state of our gut today with leaky gut and our diets and our environment so the suppository can kind of gets around all of those issues especially something like glutathione glutathione or nad are two that it's really hard to get even absorb at all orally so taking it that route is another way to go it's funny, I, Dr. Lawrence keeps reaching out to me because he sent me a lot of his suppositories, and I still have them and he keeps checking in. Like, have you taken them? I'm, I don't know. I'm scared. I, I just don't want to, for some reason, there's something about like putting it in and like it, like staying there that like bothers me. I don't know. Maybe someday, maybe I'll share on Instagram.
2: <laughs> that is a lot of sharing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we have one more little section there, and she says, I'm 40, and according to my doctor, premenopausal since I was 38, 135 pounds, 5 foot 7 inches, fast 18 to 20 hours, six times a week, with an up day, three meals on Sunday when I have breakfast with my kids. For me, only a mocha, but since it's not fasting, I consider it a meal. Have not lost one pound fasting, but love how I feel. Would be amazing to lose five to 10 pounds, though, but I do love my wine, cheese, and occasional bread." Again, thank you for all you do, Paula. Now, I'll say, Paula, your weight at 135, at 5'7 sounds really ideal. So here's what I would do for you. I would not focus on the scale anymore. I would never even look at the scale, but focus on your honesty pants because you're very likely to see your body change, but your weight not to change, like body recomposition, losing a little more fat. You know, I I don't know if you've heard me tell the story before about how I lost two sizes. Over a, a certain period of time, it's like over a year, but I it only translated to two pounds on the scale. So you're at the point where I wouldn't try to lose five to ten pounds on the scale, but just focus on changes in your body.
0: Yeah, I'm really really glad that you brought that up. I was going to bring that up as well. Do you know what book I'm actually reading right now? Well, I'm reading a lot of books, but one of the books it's The Cheese Trap. Have you heard of it? Is it the book that tells you not to eat cheese? Doctor Neil Bernard. He is very anti-cheese. I just find it really interesting that you can write an
2: entire book about not eating cheese. I mean, you know what? That's true. That is, like I said, one I will never read because I don't want anybody telling me not to eat cheese because I love cheese.
0: I'm learning so much about cheese, though. I do agree. The only reason I want to bring it up is, you know, if a person is following a, quote, healthy diet in general, but they're, they're wanting to lose weight and they're trying to figure out what food to best remove to lose weight, if you're having cheese...
2: It might be one of the ones to start with for sure. I will say that's true. It is not a lose weight food. That is a fact. (laughs) If anything, it's a
0: more likely gain weight food. The reason I'm reading it is I'm going to be interviewing him, which is very exciting because I think I might've mentioned him on the show before. He's very vegan, very vegan. Like When you think vegans, you think Dr. Michael Greger, Dean Ornish, Dr. Neil Bernard, so I'm very excited to interview him. What I want to ask him about though, he's basically making the case in this book that you know cheese is pretty much the worst thing we can be eating, but he hasn't talked about any of the studies on calorie-restricted diets with low-fat dairy. All the studies I have looked at that compare calorie-restricted diets with low-fat dairy to calorie-restricted diets without low-fat dairy show better effects in the calorie-restricted diets with low-fat dairy. So I'm very excited to ask him about that. I'm actually bringing him on for his new study about menopause. We a lot of questions in here about menopause and a um a vegan diet, a soy inclusive vegan diet to reduce menopause symptoms. That's what he wants to talk about. So I've been diving deep into the soy literature, and I will say, Jen, I'm actually I think I'm changing my thoughts about soy a little bit. What do you mean? So my stance or my thoughts about it in general were that it's likely estrogenic, so probably should be avoided for hormonal issues with the exception being maybe- Like fermented soy. Fermented forms. I still actually, looking into literature, think that this might be the case. So I'm excited to talk to him about it, but maybe Asian populations in general respond better to soy than Caucasian populations. Now, I think that is very likely,
2: very much so.
0: Yeah. So the thing that I'm expanding my mind or that I'm rethinking a little bit is I'm not finding as many studies as I thought there were showing that soy like has in vivo and like the food form has these like negative estrogenic effects. But it seems very complicated. So I'm very excited to to interview him. But one thing I got really excited about, sorry this is a tangent and then I'll stop and he talks about one of the reasons they think soy might have beneficial effects is because your gut bacteria turn it into a compound called EQUOL, E-Q-U-O-L. It might depend on your gut bacteria. So like, if you have these gut bacteria that turn soy into this EQUOL thing, then you're like an EQUOL responder, so you would respond nicely to soy. But if you don't have those gut bacteria you might not produce that eQual and then you might not have the beneficial effects. But I got really excited because then I was reading a research on eQual, reading a study on it, and it was talking about other foods that increase eQual. And it was like soy. And then it was a list of like cheese, milk, like all these dairy things. I can't wait to ask him about this. I'm so excited.
2: Well, I just think that that's a fascinating example of Again, we are all different when it comes to what foods work well for our bodies. And I think you nailed it when you said that certain populations, you know, genetically are adapted to eating, for example, soy or maybe, you know, seaweed because that's, uh, you know, something that their ancestors have been eating. And, you know, that could even be, you know, in their gut microbiome as well, something that's passed on from the culture where they grow up, you know, from the foods that they're eating when they're little in you know from their their parents. So many, so many factors come into play. So just, you know, the black and white, this food's good, this food's bad, as long as it's a real food, you know, I I don't I don't like to put real foods in that good and bad, you know, like now, or like GMO soy that's all over the place in the United States. Okay, I could (laughs) I could say a no to that one. Like most of the so I talked about this in cleanish, most of the soy in the United States is GMO. And it's in everything. Is it the highest? I think it was like 90 something. Yeah, I think it was. I can't, off the top of my head. Like the most GMO? Yeah, yeah. I think so.
0: Yeah, like a huge question I have for him is like, can you, if you eat these foods enough, can you eventually, you know, get that gut bacteria that's going to turn it into that compound? Or do some people just not have that population? So no matter how much soy they eat, You know, they're never going to become like
2: an equal producer. That's a great question. I wonder if he knows the answer. I'm going to ask him. Like, I wonder if anyone knows the answer because, you know, our gut microbiome is still a mystery because they're really still learning about it. Like when I had my, my analysis done in 2017 versus when he had it done again for Zoe in 2021, four years difference, huge difference in- the amount of information that we can learn now versus 2017. Yeah. It's crazy, everything that we we learn. And
0: I think the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know. One of the biggest, I feel, sort of recent changes is they actually originally drastically overestimated how many bacteria cells to human cells there are. Like it used to be this crazy stat of like, I don't know how many, it was a big amount of like, there are this many bacteria cells for every one human cell.
2: Now it's it's almost closer to a one-to-one ratio, I think. That is interesting. Yeah, you know, I say in Cleanish that the motto for scientists everywhere should be, oops, we were wrong before. Because, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Things change. The more we look into stuff, the more we're like, huh, that's not true. What we thought was not true at all. On um on
0: a recent Rob Wolf episode, he went on this whole tangent about how frustrating the phrase is when people say the science is settled. It's like, <laughs> I don't think the science is really ever settled. But, I mean, we're finding things, you know, like things that all the time that
2: we're just wrong about. Like, how can it ever be settled? Well, one of my favorite quotes is, questioning science is science literally. Isn't that a good quote? That is so true. You know, I taught the scientific method to elementary students. I was in charge of the science fair at Aiken Elementary for years. And then I taught my fourth grade gifted kids the scientific method and they did science projects at school, 100% at school, which was so much fun. They didn't like take them home and have their parents do them. They did them completely at school. But You know, that really is true. Questioning science literally is science because everything starts with a question that you're trying to answer. And the whole method is,
0: you know, creating a hypothesis and then like trying to prove it wrong, you know, like questioning it. Yep.
2: Yep. Exactly. So, you know, Chad's a research scientist and he always talks about how, you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Oh, yep. It's literally how I feel. All right. Well... This has
0: been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 240. Those show notes will have a full transcript. So definitely check that out. They'll also have links to everything we talked about and we talked about a lot of stuff. That was linkable. And you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow my verified... You can see my screen porch. I know. You can follow my verified profile. (laughs) So happy. I am Melanie Avalon on Instagram. And Jen is Jen Stevens. And yes, so I
2: hope, Jen, that you are able to rest. And I hope you're feeling sprightly. I'm going to. I'm willing myself. I don't stay sick for long. Like whenever I'm sick, it like comes... I'm like always surprised by it. Like it comes out of nowhere and I'm like, what? I'm sick. How'd that happen? And then I like have maybe a day where I don't feel well. And then I wake up the next day and I'm fine. So that is what I'm claiming. I will wake up tomorrow and fine. That is what I am expecting. So, Do you come here on Sunday or Monday? I'm coming Sunday. I mean, I'm like, I'm not coming early because I'm coming on Sunday, checking into the hotel and just I'll be there Sunday night. But just so I can get up and go record Monday morning. I just didn't want to be driving in from home and having to be there at like nine in the morning going through Atlanta traffic because, you know, Atlanta traffic, they moved the, the recording studio changed from one part of town to another. And the guy was like, well, um, you know, my McMillan, the guy in charge of the audio book was like, all right, well, we got you this hotel room in downtown Atlanta, but the recording studio just moved and it's 15 minutes away. Do you want to move your hotel? And I thought about it because the hotel I was booked in was a nicer hotel. But I'm like, you know, 15 minutes in Atlanta is kind of like might be an hour and a half. Yeah. Easier to just be by there. And I really did find some really cool. Places. I'm debating between two different places, but. Well, I would totally think that around Emory would have some excellent, excellent places to eat. I would have thought that. But I don't think the hotel is super great. But, you know, whatever. This will be so exciting.
0: And it'll be the day before my birthday. Yay. Like the night of my birthday.
2: Yeah. Well, I can't wait. We can put a picture on Instagram. I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'll see you soon. Okay, Yes, you will. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much
0: for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. The music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week!